you know, I'll never forget our, our first call and uh, it made me a little nervous. Uh, our first call was a 45 minute call, but it was, you know, very impactful where it was a 92 year old member who, you know, was calling and his provider uh, health system had, you know, sent him, I think it was a text, you know, to do a uh, virtual visit. And, you know, he needed an email address to register to do it. And he never used email. And, you know, we helped <laughs> him set up an email account yeah. and, you know, walked him through how to do that virtual visit. And we, we've had a number of stories since then. Welcome to the Big Unlock podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation. How consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Josh Good, CIO of Scan Health Plan in Southern California. Josh, thank you so much for setting aside the time, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, uh, Patty. Uh, thanks for having me on the uh, show today. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's get started with a little bit of uh, who Scan Health is, and tell us a little bit about the, about Scan Health and the populations that you serve. Yeah, so we are a Southern California-based uh, Medicare Advantage plan. You know, we've been in business for about uh, forty years, and we started out as a social HMO. So you know, we only service the California market for right now, and uh, we're the third largest Medicare Advantage plan in California. You know, although. You know, we are a regional plan. You know, we do have a strong national presence. You know, we are, you know, a leader in a lot of the Medicare Advantage metrics. Our NPS scores, you know, are usually near the top of the industry. Customer satisfaction as well. We uh, have a strong performance in the star rating and are pretty active from a policy standpoint. Yeah, you know, we did recently get a new CEO. Sachin Jane, whom you know, we're excited about. You know, he uh, came on board probably about it's been about seven months. And, um, and when you look at Sachin coming on board, you know, Scan, you know, we've had a good foundation, a really, you know, stable, solid company to the, you know, the metrics that I spoke about. And um, you know, we're excited with Sachin being on board, really, you know, looking at how do we capitalize on that? How do we build upon that? and expand upon all the good work we've been doing for seniors across California. Yeah, and such it's great. Uh, I follow him on social media, and he always has uh, interesting perspectives on what's going on uh, with healthcare today. Just out of curiosity, how many lives do you cover today, approximately? Yeah, we've got roughly about 225,000 lives today. All right, so in this podcast, we talk about digital transformation in healthcare. I'd love to maybe have you spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, what kind of digital programs you've rolled out in the last couple of years at ScanHealth. Yeah, sure. You know, much like everybody, I'm sure part of your audience, you know, you know the last couple of years really been focused a lot on consumer facing technologies. You know, how do we improve that consumer experience? Prior to that, and I think this is relevant to the conversation, you know, and I've been at SCAN for about seven years. 
Prior to that, really, we're focused on a technology modernization program where you know, when I came on board at SCAN, we were in a little bit of a technology hole, so to speak, or what, where you know, a lot of our core admin systems you know, were outdated. You know, they were no longer supported by vendors. Uh, in fact, our, our primary core admin system that does a lot of our administration was written in a programming language, RPG. We were 100% on-prem. And, you know, so I put in place a technology modernization program replacing all those four systems that we had. And we moved to a SaaS-based model, primarily pretty much all the systems, moving them into a uh, cloud environment. And we, you know, we completed that about two years ago. You know, so we've really pivoted our focus since then, you know, more on, you know, the consumer-facing technologies. So, you know, we've done a lot around, you know, we're pretty proud of our website, you know, building out our self-service capabilities trying to you know, minimize the amount of phone calls we get, enable our, our members, our seniors, you know, if they choose to use you know, online channels, they have those, those options. We've been doing a lot around data and analytics, uh, advanced analytics. You know, interoperability has been something that we've been doing a lot, probably more around the last year. And you know, with the new CMS interoperability rule, you know, we at SCAN are really excited about that. We've tried to get in front of that, be a le- uh, leader in the industry around that. Some exciting things we've been doing from developing a provider playbook to get out there and really promote it. But we think that and we're hoping that that has a chance to really unlock data sharing, data liquidity. So that's something we've been excited about. And then the other thing really focus on, you know, our contact center, our touch points with our members and driving innovation and using technology and data to support those areas of our uh, company. That sounds very comprehensive. And and I want to drill into a few of those topics and themes that you just outlined, Josh. And let me start with the member engagement piece. And obviously that is top of mind for everyone, both on the provider side as well as on the peer side of the business. And so we talk about digital front doors, for instance, a lot on this show. Can you uh, drill into uh, a little bit of what kind of specific uh, high impact features or functionalities or solutions you've launched and how is it making a difference? How do you pick what to deploy and how do you track whether it's working? Yeah, no, that's a uh, great question. One of the, obviously one of the challenges that we all face, you know, there's a lot of technologies, a lot of capabilities out there that we can be deploying. So how do you know you're you're deploying the right one? You know, some of the things we do, you know, something I'm per- personally a big uh, proponent of, we like to do journey mapping, looking at, you know, what is that, you know, member experience, that constituent experience, and looking at, you know, what are those touch points that we have? What are the areas that they have pain points? We call them the moments that matter. And looking at how we can apply you know, technology to help solve for those. And, you know, and you don't always, you know, get it right. You know, to me, it kind of gives you a heat map of those areas that, you know, you want to focus on. And then, you know, we are very focused on person-centered design at SCAN. And we'll, we'll use our, you know, member advisory committees to give us guidance on, you know, these are the things that we think we need to be working on and have our members, our seniors, inform us, you know, are those the things we need to be focusing on? And, you know, we learn a lot from those committees. I mean, whether, you know, some of our surprises, you know, just even this year, 
you know, learn a lot about, you know, caregivers are, which we've always known, and we always have a heavy focus on, you know, caregivers, but caregivers and really increasing their abilities has been an area of focus for us. And then there's yeah, surprising things. Like I was uh, somewhat surprised where, you know, unsolicited, a popular theme that had come up around our members was multi-factor authentication on our, our member portal uh-huh. and concerns about protecting their data, which obviously we can understand is something we've always taken very seriously at SCAN, but the option to be able to enable that are some of the things that we've heard about. But but for us, it's, it starts with that journey mapping, really looking at what is that experience? What are those pain points that we can solve for in technology. And you know, the other thing I would add to this, you know, I, I talk about, it was talking a lot about, you know, the member pain points, but also stepping back and looking at, you know, your other constituents as well, where, you know, whether that is a uh, provider or broker, you know, and we'll, we'll map out those journeys as well and look at, you know, what is that experience that they have in interacting with SCAN? And in doing that, you know, usually those pain points become pretty, uh, pretty obvious or what. I mean, one for us was, you know, with our brokers where we had a pretty fragmented experience with our brokers a number of years back. And prior to us having a uh, fully integrated broker portal and, you know, by streamlining that, you know, we not only make it easier to do business with us from a broker perspective, but, you know, those brokers are also working with our members, our prospects, you know, it allows them to provide a better service. And, and same thing with our providers, you know, the better experience we can provide our providers or our brokers, the better experience they can provide our members. Yeah, yeah. And you are therefore serving multiple constituencies, the brokers, the provider network, and of course, your members. You're serving a Medicare population and uh, there'll be some who might think that uh, your population is not as ready for some of the digital technologies and tools that you're rolling out. Now, you mentioned that you do do journey maps and you do have uh, member advisory committees and, and you take their feedback and so on. Can you tell us about one, you know, one or two unique things about your population that you've had to take into consideration while designing these solutions uh, and these experiences? You know, and it's really not a one-size-fits-all, you know. So when you're dealing with the Medicare, the senior population, you know, you got to design the experience with that population in mind. You know, how do you make it simple? How do you make it easy to utilize, you know, those technologies or what? And that's something we strive to do, you know, with our website and any of our touch points, you know, with our members. You know, whether it be telehealth, whether it be, you know, doing a virtual visit and, and even getting that virtual visit invite over to our members. How do we make that as easy as possible? And, you know, one of the things we've seen in particular with COVID-19, just like everyone else, you know, digital adoption, you know, really has skyrocketed even amongst the senior population. And, you know, for us, we saw our member portal registrations go up, you know, over 30%. And the users are staying actively engaged. You know, these are not one-time registrations, but we also have seen, you know, our virtual visits, our video conference visits, those have all dramatically increased. And we, fortunately, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were in a pretty good spot where, 
you know, we already had these tools in place. We were already using them, but, you know, the adoption really took off with the pandemic. And, you know, one of the other things we had to do and um, something me that I, I in particular, I'm uh, personally proud of, it was an idea that when the pandemic hit, me and my team came up with when we were brainstorming to, you know, help solve the digital divide with seniors was we quickly rolled out a member technology support line after the pandemic hit. We were able to get it up and running about three weeks after the pandemic really kind of took hold and everybody started going into a virtual environment. And that's, you know, been very successful, you know, to the point we piloted last year, we made it a benefit this year. You know, the success out of that, where when you looked at what happened with the pandemic, you know, our members were really thrust into a digital environment. And, you know, some of them were ready for it. You can't, you know, obviously generalize the senior population. Some are very digitally savvy. Yeah, but there are others that were not ready for it. And, you know, I'll never forget our our first call. And uh, it made me a little nervous. Uh, Our first call was a 45-minute call. But it was, you know, very impactful where it was a 92-year-old member who, you know, was calling and his provider uh, health system had, you know, sent him, I think it was a text, you know, to do a uh, virtual visit. And, you know, he needed an email address to register to do it. And he never used email. And, you know, we helped (laughs) him set up an email account. Yeah. And, you know, walked him through how to do that virtual visit. And we've had a number of stories since then or what, but it's, um, you know, something that we've been proud of to help solve that digital uh, divide. That's an amazing story. And I was going to ask you about the impact of COVID-19. Obviously, in the immediate wake of COVID-19, everybody saw a spike in virtual visits because that was the only way you could get any kind of care. But all the data seems to point to the fact that the uh, virtual visits are flattening out a little bit as patients start going back to clinics and hospitals, and maybe there's a little bit of pent-up demand. What are you seeing? Yeah, we're seeing the same thing. You know, so there obviously, you know, was a peak. We do see that coming back down, but we do see it coming down to levels that are higher than what we saw pre-pandemic. You know, I think that, you know, something that, you know, we as an industry have been able to demonstrate through the pandemic is that we can operate in a virtual fashion, you know, and obviously not all care can be delivered virtually, but I think we have built that trust with our members, our patients that, you know, there are effective ways to service those individuals virtually. And so we are still seeing it. It's still running at high levels, but, you know, not as uh, high as the peaks that we've had in the past. And you know, here in California, we are still probably a little more locked down than other parts of the nation. So, you know, as we start to open up more, you know, I do anticipate that those, those numbers will continue to drop. But our thoughts are, and, and, you know, what we're seeing and hearing from our member patient population is that they will continue to use virtual services for select interactions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox. Switching topics, uh, I want to talk about data and analytics. Uh, you mentioned that briefly in your uh, comments earlier. Now, obviously, it's a very, very big part of managing population health, and it is now becoming a 
sort of table stakes, if you will, to have a robust data and analytics program if you have to do well with healthcare delivery. Increasingly, the talk is about social determinants of health, which has become all the more prominent in the context of the digital divide and, and health equity and all the other stuff that uh, is now front and center. So can you, can you talk a little bit about your data and analytics program and how you've uh, harnessed some of the uh, social determinants of health? And you know, I was, also wanted to mention, I saw this very interesting uh, case study, interesting project by UCSF where they've really harnessed social determinant data from publicly available sources, census data and everything else. They're trying to make predictions about uh, who is at risk. And I just mentioned that as one of the more creative ways that I've come across for harnessing social determinants of health to really drive health outcomes. Can you talk to that a little bit? Can you talk to your whole data and analytics program and maybe touch upon social determinants in particular? Yeah, you know, data analytics is something that, you know, we really pride ourselves on, you know, at SCAN, something that we, we do well, we get a lot of good feedback. We have a healthcare informatics department that you know, I, I really co-own data analytics with them on the, I, the IT side. My under my purview, you know, we manage the architecture, the data infrastructure, the tools, and then Moon Long, the head of our healthcare informatics department, you know, leads up a lot of the the reporting. You know, so data analytics has always been you know one of our strengths. You know, for me, I think it's like a moral imperative of a payer. You know to be strong in data analytics where, you know, when you look at our, our role as a payer, you know, we're really a data aggregator. We're, we're getting all this data. We, we oftentimes have more data than the health system has. So, you know, for me, I think it's, you know, our imperative to use that data to help influence care, help, you know, improve the service experience, you know, as well. So, you know, for us, you know, we've done a lot around, you know, we implemented this about five, six years ago, self-service analytics. I'm a big proponent of that. And, yep. you know, we've got a center of excellence that, you know, we run that we enable all of our different business analyst departments around the company and really give them the tools to you know, be able to, you know, develop their own analytics and have data, you know, at their fingertips to be able to make decisions and serve it up to the leaders in their departments. And we, you know, we support them from our center of excellence. And that that model has been very successful for us. We put that in place, you know, probably five, six years ago, and we've done nothing but build upon that. And, you know, for us to be able to quickly get data out to our departments, you know, it's been invaluable you know, in doing that. More recently, we've moved into advanced analytics, leveraging AI, machine learning, and we've been pretty selective on the use cases we target with AI. You know, it is, you know, it takes a little bit more to build those models, a little bit more care and feeding as well versus traditional analytics. And, you know, and I will say it's been highly successful for us, you know, and you read some stories that, you know, are not so successful. And I think some of that goes into, you know, having the right processes in place to make sure you're focusing on the right use cases for AI. But, you know, ours have really yielded, in some cases, just tremendous results. And, and, and these results are over comparing it to if we had done it using traditional analytics or what. So we've been very strategic, very focused in our use cases, but very impactful in that they've been able to really 
improve our ability to leverage data and gain insights on data. I mean, some of our clinical insights, you know, from our AI models we're getting, you know, we never could get before from traditional analytics and really are making a big impact there. So, you know, and then on the uh, social determinants of health, you know, it's always been a priority focus of ours, you know, so, you know, starting out as a social HMO, you know, we were really focused on SDOH 40 years ago, you know, something that we've always done, you know, we use a little bit of the external sources that you reference, but, you know, we've always maintained a, you know, good history of that information and had the ability to collect that information directly from our members through a you know, variety of means. And so we've had a pretty rich uh, repository and whether it's coming from us or coming from, you know, some of the other partners in our ecosystems, even our, you know, community agencies that we work with, you know, we've been able to develop a pretty rich repository of SDOH data that we leverage across the board. I mean, those models, those clinical models that I talk about, it's very effective in looking at predicting, you know, some, you know, chronic conditions and potential clinical outcomes or what. So, you know, we've really been able to improve the care we deliver by using that data and then coupling it with the overall kind of robust analytics program that I described. You know, the last thing I would say um, on analytics, you know, the other thing, and I actually co-authored an article on this, you know, uh, a few weeks back, something we're really, you know, focused on is, you know, real-time analytics. And, you know, it's always been out there and we've always talked about it, but, you know, with the advancements of technologies, the replication technologies, and then, what I touched on earlier, the CMS interoperability role. And we're hopeful that, you know, that role is going to allow us to more tightly integrate with our provider network where we are getting real-time data straight from our health systems provider network. And we're able to take that data and feed it across our, you know, what, what I consider a pretty rich and robust, you know, analytics program to really drive more outcomes as well. Yeah. Sounds pretty comprehensive. I'm sure there's a lot of technology providers who want to be a part of this journey. It's exciting stuff, what you just talked about. What is your advice to to tech firms and and startups, for that matter, who are looking to be a part of your journey? Yeah, you know, um, know, great question. And, uh, you know, and I have to say, you know, and I work with, I've got a number of friends that are leading up technology software companies. It's a tough time out there where, you sit in my seat and some of the peers, we get called on a lot. Some of my advice, and I participate in several innovation competitions where I, I serve as a judge. And you know, what I like to coach those startups around is one, you know, if your demographic is seniors, you're going after the senior market, you know, make sure you're building software that is aligned to that demographic. And it, you know, it seems so basic and fundamental, but you know, as a Medicare Advantage CIO, I, you know, see it all the time, you know, where we're presented with software that, you know, is not geared towards the senior population for, you know, whatever reason. So, you know, making sure you're engaging that demographic, using person-centered design workshops with them, getting their feedback, building the software that's going to be usable for them. And then building software that, you know, it's going to deliver outcomes. You know, again, sounds you know very simple, but 
you see a lot of you know kind of sexy buzzy software out there using the latest you know technologies that you know when you pilot it or use it it really does not deliver you know the outcomes that you would expect and you know at some point the market will catch up with you you know we're all focused on outcomes at some point that will catch up with you or what yeah yeah, the last thing I, I would say on that, just you know, as a healthcare CIO, we're all under attack from a cybersecurity standpoint. And even today, you know, you still see a lack of adoption around information security or what. So, you know, focusing in on information security. I, I see a world here in the near future where, you know, if you're not a high trust certified vendor, you're gonna have a tough time operating in the market. So making sure you have a security focus as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that is great advice. I, I hear this all the time from CIOs that I talk to. Uh, don't start with the tech. Uh, start with really understanding your target audience and your market. And, and I think uh, the comments you made about you know, taking the time and making the investment to do a, a person-centered design, applying person-centered design and uh, doing journey maps and really understanding it and iterating on that is so critical. There's so many, you know, so many companies out there are in a hurry to grow and scale and all of that, but you can lose sight of the basics. And I think the, the comment you made about security is so, so important in today's context. That's great advice, by the way, Josh. So we're kind of coming up to the end of our time here. And I have uh, one question uh, more at a personal level, I guess. You came to Scan Health after a long career in consulting, and actually you and I worked for the same consulting firm for a period of time. How did your consulting background prepare you for the CIO role? And what advice do you have for others in the consulting world who want to make that kind of a transition? Yeah, no, uh, great question. You know, one I, uh, you know, get pretty uh, pretty often. And, uh, you know, so my background before becoming a CIO was exclusively, you know, working in the consulting industry. And, and, you know, what I think it did, it really made me a well-rounded, you know, individual where, you know, as a CIO, you got to wear a lot of different hats. And, you know, I think I developed, you know, a lot of insights that are invaluable to my job that I have today. And I, I was pretty fortunate in my career where, you know, I did a portion of strategy work, you know, which helped me understand how I need to develop strategies for organizations but I also did, you know, a sizable amount of system implementation work, you know, leading large system implementations, designing the IT operating model, and, you know, even running those for some large national payers that had outsourced their MA operations. And, you know, the thing that, you know, the consulting background really prepares you for is, you know, having that mindset of being able to design a operating model where you can put people in place, you know, to be successful and, you know, allow them to be able to execute on the strategies that you put in place or what. So for me, it's a priceless education. And and I usually get out and I lecture at some of the local colleges here in LA. And, um, you know, I tell the students often, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get on with one of the big four consulting firms, you know, even if it's just for two, three years, go out there and give it a try. The experiences you'll have, the exposure, what you'll learn about strategy, how to execute, how to build an operating model will serve you throughout the lifetime. Not to mention your personal network that you develop. You know, yeah. you develop very deep and rich personal network. So invaluable experience that really applies to a senior leadership role. 
And I would say invaluable advice as well. Thank you, Josh, for sharing your time and your insights with us. I guess we're going to have to leave it there for today. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you once again for being on the show. Yeah, great discussion. And uh, thank you for uh, having me on the show today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox.